Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about sin in the lives of saints. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. The old leaven was that which was not in accord with holiness. The old man, we have to reckon the dead. It's still there. You still have a sin nature, so do I. It doesn't go away. You must reckon the dead. Live in holiness. That you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. Sanctified to God. A new lump. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's the second law of thermodynamics that deals with the theory of disorder. In a nutshell, this universal law of science says that all systems, if left to themselves, move from a state of order to disorder. But what effect does this have in our practical, everyday lives? Well, today Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as he shares how even Christians have to deal with the old, decaying, dying self and the ever-present constant battle with sin. Let's listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and the message entitled, Sexual Sin Within the Church. Paul's response to sexual immorality in the church of Corinth is characterized by the following. First, Verse 1 and 2, Paul rebuked the Corinthians for their toleration. Verse 3 through 5, Paul required the Corinthians to act without hesitation. And 6 through 8, Paul reminded the Corinthians to act according to their transformation. He lays it out for us, ladies and gentlemen. I love Corinthians because you know what? It's exactly where the world has always been and always will be, and especially our nation, we are here. Our nation is a nation of Corinthians. Listen carefully. Look at first. Paul rebuked them for the presence of immorality in the church. The apostle says this was a knowledge that was common. It was a common thing. Listen to the words. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Notice, uh, it's due to the fact that this particular sexual sin was condemned among the Gentiles. He says, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. So here the Gentiles are used as a sharp rebuke to the Corinthians as having a higher moral standard in this particular area than the Corinthian church. Notice the apostle stated it was the sin of incest. He puts his finger on it. That a man has his father's wife. The sin of incest was even frowned upon by the non-believer. Look at verse 2. Paul rebuked them for the way they had handled the immorality. And you are puffed up. The Corinthians were puffed up, inflated in their arrogant state, thinking that they were spiritual. Remember earlier in chapter 4? Oh, you're reigning, you're king. Wish you were, we'd be reigning with you. Here you're telling me that you're spiritual and you can't even discern that this guy is out to lunch sleeping with a stepmother? Paul rebuked the Corinthians for their toleration. How are we doing on toleration with sin? Look at verse 3 and 5. Or through five. The Apostle Paul required the Corinthians to act without hesitation. In verse three, Paul gave the judgment of this individual. He rebuked them for spiritual dullness in their midst. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit. Paul was shocked. He loved them. He was their father, their spiritual father, preached the gospel. He loved them so much he was willing to confront them. Look at the last verse of chapter four. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod 
or in love in the spirit of gentleness. I'm your daddy. What do you want out of me? <laughs> How do you want me to deal with you? It's up to you. Wow. That's true love. Now, he had already judged the person guilty of the sin of incest. He says, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. This is not being presumptuous, but scriptural. It is a very clear violation of Christian lifestyle. Contrary to it. The word judge means make a proclamation concerning what's right and wrong. I is emphatic. I have made this judgment. The indicative present tense, meaning that Paul's decision was made and it stood firm. It wasn't going to change. Very clear. This judgment was on the guilty one. Notice that on him who has done this deed. This is the honorable thing to do for the church and the offended father. This was another sharp rebuke for their lack of judgment regarding the individual. They were present and they couldn't make that judgment. Look at four. Paul gave the authority for such an action. The judgment was to be done in the name of their Savior, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was their master, Curios, the title, the one who owned them, the one who loved them, their master. He was a real man, the incarnation, Jesus, Yahweh of salvation, the God-man. He was the Christ, the Christus, the deity, the Messiah, the anointed one. This is, this is the authority. I have no authority apart from him. Notice the judgment was to take place as the church assembled. Christ and his church are one. The local church has the authority to act on the various problems within the body according to the scriptures, not my opinion. The church body is to be known for the ability to handle its internal affairs, which they don't until they get busted, like the world. The local church should handle this matter in its highest integrity to stop the gossip, the slander, any questions from within and from without. Notice the spirit of Paul. It doesn't mean that his ghost was there, but merely he's referring to his judgment of the previous verse. He's already made that judgment. He's there in spirit with them. He understands the case. Now, the judgment was the exercise of delegated divine power, not man's, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word power, dunamis, you know, that we get dynamic, dynamite. It means strength and power for the ability in the divine realm, in the spiritual realm. Now, the inherent power was by virtue of the name of Jesus that the church is connected with. The church is the representative of Jesus Christ on the earth, the bride of Christ, the people of God. The church draws its authority from the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. The Word of God and Jesus are the same. They're synonymous. You can't separate them. You understand? Look at 5. Paul gave the disciplinary action to be taken. The apostle declared to turn the individual to the devil. Deliver such a one to Satan. The word seems drastic. The actions and the words in the intent to solve this problem at Corinth. But listen to me. It's absolutely biblical. Remember what I'm saying. We, as Christians, do not turn non-believers to Satan. We turn Christians over to Satan. Christians who rebel and don't want to obey God's word and bring a reproach to Christ. Non-believers belong to Satan. Remember? The word deliver means to deliver into the hand, the custody of a person. The young man was just, wasn't submitting to the authority of Jesus. The individual named is Satan, Satan. In Spanish, Satanás, meaning adversary. One 
who withstands, the one who deceived the third of the angels rebelling from God in heaven. He is called the God of this world, the prince and the power of the air, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2. Now, there are many interpretations to this phrase. Some believe it simply means excluding them from the communion table. But the text says much more than that. Others believe it means only excommunication from the fellowship. You boot them out. But the text says more than that. As we move on, we will see. It's very specific. The apostle declared the object of the action. Here it is. You ready? It was natural castigation for discipline, for the destruction of the flesh. The action is punitive to chasten the individual. The word flesh, sarks, as you know, is used in different ways, for the sin nature and for the physical body. Here he's using it for the physical body, the destruction, the natural consequence of sexual sin, without doubt. The isolation and the, of the ostracization, kicking them out of the church, that hopefully causes them to reflect. He has no access to the Lord, to people. The potential progression of this sin into the sexual realm, of course, Corinth, you have the temple prostitutes, everything else. It could go so bad that he reaps to his own flesh, meaning sexual disease or whatever it may be, and he ends up dying. All right? These are natural consequences. Now, the apostle noted declared the ultimate purpose of the action was salvation. But first came castigation, okay? It's up to the individual. Now, you as a father, when you bring castigation, discipline to your child, it's not to make him feel miserable. It's to try to turn him. There's a motive. So here it is. The ultimate purpose is salvation. He says that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Castigation is corrective. To turn a person from their sin back to fellowship with God in the church. The hope was that even if it took his death, before he died, he could repent. That's the hope. Now, in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, we know he repented. But not everybody repents. All right? Castigation that has no view of restoration is not biblical. The goal of salvation must be seen in view of repentance, not mere excommunication. Acknowledging one's sin, confessing one's sin, abandoning one's sin, and making restitution whenever possible. But it's not always possible. It's not even wise all the time. We have to examine that. Now, the similar phrase is found in one other time. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, the, the man Hymenaeus and Alexander were set to make shipwreck of the faith, if you remember, by rejecting faith and good conscience. And the men were delivered over to Satan in order that they learn not to blaspheme. Then the apostle in the second epistle to Timothy mentions Hymenaeus along with Philetus who were teaching that the resurrection had already passed in 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18. Paul makes these guys and mentions them by name because they were a danger to the church. They had corrupted the church. He loved them. He was hoping they would turn. But he's protecting the church. You do not turn sinners over to Satan. You turn Christians who are rebellious and sinful 
over to Satan. After you confront him, we'll deal with Matthew 18 as we move along. Now the goal again, restoration, and it did pay off, as we said to this gentleman. The Corinthians were as dull to restore him as to correct him when we get to chapter 2. Paul says, no, he repented. You don't want to let him back in. What is the matter with you guys? He's sinning. You're embracing them. He repents. You want to kick him out. What is your problem? They don't obey the word of God. Let's just all hang out together. Let's just love one another. No, that's what God is in trouble. We have to live according to Christ, ladies and gentlemen. What is it that we don't understand? It went from one extreme to the other. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed and faithful the wounds of a friend, but deceitful the kisses of the enemy, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. The church is lukewarm today. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But I don't need your help in my carnality. I need your help to make me more spiritual. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to hold a standard. It goes both ways. If you're in a fellowship, I'm not asking for perfection, but I'm asking for your devotion to Jesus. You understand? The authority to bind and loosen simply means to allow or disallow. That's what the words are, according to the standards of Scripture, not some magical formula. I bind Satan. We even make the voice. Ah, like if he gets scared. Ooh. Where do we get that? Where do we get that? Cracker Jack box or what? It's allowing and disallowing. Matthew 18, the context is church discipline. The gathering in the Lord's name for church discipline, not agreement in prayer as it's taught so many times where two or three are gathered. That's not prayer, it's discipline. Looking at what's going on and you agree this is what has to be done. He's already said in chapter 5 here, down in verse 11. But now I have written to you before not to keep company with anyone who's a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolaters or reviler or drunkard or an extortioner, even to eat with them, that person. So your responsibility, if you know people who you're hanging out and they're, they're fornicating, getting drunk, stuff like that, you're to confront them by one, by two, by three. If they don't, then you bring them to the church. And if not, then you cut them off. You don't continue your fellowship with them. Would you keep coming here if you knew I was sleeping with some other women? That I was getting drunk? That's not like lit up so I can have a good revelation for you today. <laughs> Would you be coming here? Then don't insult me and do the same and then come. It's simple. The Apostle Paul gives many specific instructions by handling different situations, lest you think that I'm just pulling this out of a hat. Listen carefully. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. Pretty heavy. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey the words of this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them, that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So you do the Matthew 18. 1 Timothy 5, 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Everybody shoots their mouth against pastors and elders and stuff like that. You better make sure you have two or three witnesses. You better have your act together because it's not a light thing. People destroy people. People divide churches. And they think they're unaccountable today in the church. 1 Timothy 5.20. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now, I've never done this, but I'm ready to do it and willing if it happens. I'm to rebuke you before all. I've never had to do it, but I'm supposed to be willing to do it in obedience to Christ. Not because I'm better than you, but because this is the church of Jesus Christ. Are we all together here? 
The actions of the church should always be with the mind of restoration, not mere castigation. Yet at times, restoration may not be practical, even though there's restoration. Because of the sin and the people involved and the people still present, I may not be able to restore you in the church the way you were before. You understand? And you got to take each case individually. It takes a lot of wisdom. And it shouldn't be done by any one man. In order, he calls the church to do this, okay? Paul required the Corinthians to act without hesitation. How are you doing with sin in the life of others? Are you hesitating? Look at 6 through 8. Paul reminded the Corinthians to act according to their transformation. This is good. Paul reminded them of their failure. The glory of the Corinthians was not good. That's what he says. The word glory does not mean the exhibiting of boasting, but rather the attitude, the spiritual pride. Here they're allowing all this sin and everything else, and they're saying they're spiritual. It's crazy. They were rejoicing, thinking they had arrived. In chapter 4, verse 8, the Corinthians were boasting of their wisdom. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Their actions ignored the most basic principle of corruption in the church. Listen to his words. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Basic principle. Leaven's a type of sin, as you know in the scriptures, unless it's otherwise stated in the context. It's decomposition, yeast. It breaks down the thing. Whatever it contacts, it corrupts it. Their failure to identify the incest and confront the young man jeopardizes the spiritual health of what? The church. Giving the sense of approval and license. Look at 7. Paul reminded them of their duty to be one with Christ. The Corinthians were to remove any sin from their midst. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. The leaven being the individual involved in the sin of incest. The purging means to clean out thoroughly. It's an imperative command, not a suggestion. The word appears only one other time for a person to purge, and that is in 2 Timothy 2.21. You purge yourself to be a vessel of honor to God. Now look, the old leaven was that which was not in accord with holiness. The works of the flesh produce old sin nature. The old man, we have to reckon it dead. It's still there. You still have a sin nature, so do I. It doesn't go away. You must reckon it dead. The sin was the act of incest. The command implies the ability to obey. They're born again. Notice the Corinthians were to do so in order that they what? Live in holiness. That you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. The purpose was that they might live as a new creature, sanctified to God, a new lump. The eliminating of sin from among them would restore the pureness of the individual and the church to Christ. The eliminating of sin would also restore fellowship with God and Paul. Now notice the reason being that they were new creatures, truly unleavened, he says. The need to yield to the wisdom and power of God is essential. They needed to live by the new divine nature apart from the old habitual life of sin that we all are very familiar with. Notice the Corinthians were to remember that they were what they were because what Christ had done for them. Listen to the words. Don't miss this. If indeed Christ, our Passover, was crucified for us. For indeed Christ. The Messiah, the Passover, sacrificed for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin for us and knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
He was the substitute in my place. He died in my place. He made me a son and a daughter, and so the Corinthians. The Passover was celebrated by the purging of all leaven, as you know, back in Exodus chapter 12. They purged all the leaven from Egypt before they went out. Every year the Jews do that. And the father goes through the house, purges it out, leaves a little leaven so the kids find them. They say, here's the last of it. And they purge it all out. And then the angel of death came and leaped over the house that he saw the blood. But the ones that didn't have the blood, from the top to the least, the firstborn were stricken. Christ is our Passover. We're to remove all leaven. He has paid the price. The Exodus celebrated the first Passover. The children of Israel were to keep the Passover to remind them of God's deliverance from Egypt, the bondage of sin, and the church is to remember that Christ is the fulfillment of that Passover. He is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, John 1, 29. Notice verse 8. Paul reminded them of how they were to live every day. The Corinthians were not to live inconsistent with their profession of Christ being their Passover. Listen to the words. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with all leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. They were not to live with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Very specific here. The believer, though saved, still has sin nature. Remember, 1 John 1 8. If not, we deceive ourselves. The word malice means desire to injure, describing our attitude, having no fear to break the law. That's your potential. As a Christian still, my potential. Notice the Corinthians were then to live consistently with their profession of Christ being their pastor. First, not, now the positive. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity means honesty, genuineness, transparency, without hypocrisy or duplicity. Truth, Alethea, means what is true in any matter of discussion and consideration. The context will determine whether it's righteous, holiness. Here, it's in that which is in accord with holiness in the words of Jesus Christ, particularly the sexual arena. One day, a soldier of Alexander was called in by a top general because of his lifestyle. And he said, what is your name? He says, Alexander. He says, I give you one of two choices. You are marring the name of Alexander the Great. Change your name or change your life. You are supposed to be Christians, ladies and gentlemen. Change your name or change your life. One of the two. You mar the name of Christ, and so do I, if I don't live up to it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to God, who is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. If I fail, it's because I refuse to take the way of escape. Hebrews 4.16, listen. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. How merciful and graceful God is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Paul's response to sexual immorality of the church of Corinth. This letter should be proclaimed, this message should be proclaimed in every Christian church today because we are accessible. Forget the world. The church is successful today. Paul rebuked the Corinthians for their toleration. Paul required the Corinthians to act without 
hesitation. Paul reminded the Corinthians to act according to their transformation. I think this is good stuff for us. What do you think? Pastor Xavier Reese with an exhortation to live according to God's standard, not our own sinful desires. Today on Simple Truths. And you can request a copy of today's timely study called Sexual Sin Within the Church. It's available on CD for just $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for again is Sexual Sin Within the Church. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. And join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 